our mates for advice, our parents for some stability, our leaders for some security and guidance. Now, whatever your political views are, uh, Boris Johnson's... Oh, is my clicker going to work? Hopefully it's not. Robert might need your help. Thank you. There he is, Boris Johnson. Whatever your political views are, Boris Johnson's COVID updates in the height of lockdown, well, they were the most watched television in the whole of 2020. I think that highlights to us that in tough times, we are desperate, desperate for someone to offer a solution, to lead us to something better. Now, that question of who is it who will lead us out in those tough times, well, it's a key question, isn't it? One that will affect all of us. And it's a question that God's people, all the way back in the time of 1 Kings, well, they were asking that question too. Now, as we carry on in our series in Kings, we'll see this evening that God's people were in the thick of it. We'll see kingdoms rise, divide, fall, kings come and go, betrayal, civil war, the lot. The episode that we're zooming in on this evening will match us up to any Netflix drama that you're hoping to watch perhaps later this evening. But wonderfully, this isn't just a bit of evening entertainment for us. This is God's word. So let's pray that God would speak to us this evening. And let me do that now. Father, we thank you that we can come together this evening, that wherever we are, whatever week we have had, that we can listen to you speaking to us now from your word. As we listen, help us to engage and help us to know that your word is active and powerful and changes us and equips us to live for you. So be with us now, Lord, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, as we carry on in our series in Kings, we need to press rewind and go back in time to where it all started. To where it all started. And it starts with a united kingdom. A united kingdom. Now, I'm not talking about the UK, our UK, Scotland, Wales, England, Northern Ireland. No, I'm talking about the united kingdom between God's people. Rather than there just being four countries, like our UK, God's people were made up of 12 tribes. Now, the 12 tribes of Israel were rooted in the 12 sons of Jacob. Back with that story of Joseph and his brothers, you may remember that whole account. Well, those 12 sons of Jacob would each have their own families. And those family units, well, uh, each of those would develop into their own tribe. In the following generations, those family units would each develop into each uh, one of those 12 tribes of God's people. And we get to the point where some 900 years later, on from Joseph and his brothers, well, those 12 tribes would form two separate kingdoms, with the 10 northern tribes being known as Israel and the two southern tribes being known as Judah. And you can see on the screen what this would have looked like, these two separate kingdoms. And to, and to help us visualize what's going on here in our passage today, I need some active participation. Maybe you're excited, maybe your heart has just sunk, I don't know. But we're going to get involved. And I'm going to ask uh, this side of the room, because you are indeed 
the north side of the church. This evening, you are going to be Israel, the northern kingdom. And this side of the room, if you're up for it, which you are, thank you, you're going to be the southern kingdom. Because you're the south side of the room, you're going to be Judah. Fantastic. Now, do you want to give each other a bit of a wave? Israel, wave to Judah. Judah, say hi to Israel. But stop, don't wave too much, because at the moment, you are separate kingdoms. You are separate kingdoms. And it wouldn't be until David became king that these two separate kingdoms, all the tribes, would be brought together as one. In the uh, book Just Before One Kings, in 2 Samuel, which focused on uh, King David, we hear about how this kingdom was first united, when David was anointed as king over all of God's people. This was the point where north and south would be united, would be joined, where Israel and Judah were united into one kingdom. And again, to help us visualize this evening, I need north and south to get involved and to show the unity of the kingdom. So Sarah's going to help me do this. We've got some string and we've got some signs. So Sarah, that's one sign for you, one bit of string. And we're going to be uniting the kingdoms. So find couple of pews that look keen. Hopefully this string should stretch all the way across. Tom, do you want to pass that down to the end of your row? Fantastic. Or oh, is this a bit tangled up? Oh no, this is my worst nightmare. I might untangle itself. There you go. It's getting there. It's getting there. Uh, I reckon go around this way. Oh, do you want to grab that bit of string? Pass it on. Great, Roman gets the idea. Good man. Look at that. Do you want to pass it right over? Yes, yeah, keep it going. Fantastic. Hopefully you're feeling, feeling united. This piece of string is bringing unity to the kingdom. <laughs> it's a bit tangled. Thanks, Nate. Whilst you're doing that, I'm just going to hang the sign up here so we can all see it. Amazing. That is a great question, Tom. How am I going to get back to the front? I'm not going to limbo. You've got to, uh, you guys can work it out. Fantastic. Thank you, Claire. <laughs> Great. Okay. Thanks, everybody. If you're feeling united, look, we've got our, our cord, our pieces of string, and we're united kingdom. And so we can recognize that with this cord, we can really sense, can't we, the unity, the togetherness of this one kingdom. But remember, everybody, your unity, your unity together, well, it depends on your mutual acceptance of David as king. With David on the throne, well, God's people are united. And things are looking great. Things are looking great in the kingdom. And even after David dies, well, Solomon becomes king. Come on, Solomon, where are you? There he is, he's come. Fantastic, good. Remember Solomon from last week, the amazingly wise king. We've already had wise up on our screen this evening. And so we're still hopeful, aren't we? We're still strong together, united around the king. But remember what we also heard from Tom last week. Solomon was wise when he feared the Lord, when he respected him above everything else. But then his head was turned. He took his eyes off of God, and instead his big life goals were, you may remember from last week, money, power, and sex. And we saw, didn't we, that he accumulated a huge amount of gold, that he brought together 
vast numbers of horses and chariots for his armies. And he married a crazy number of women who, who led him into worshipping idols, false gods. The once wise Solomon, whose leadership of God's people had been so good, well, he finished his reign as king, obsessed with money, sex, and power. And with that, the unity of the kingdom, well, it starts to get a bit shaky. You see, in his quest, thank you, good shaking, in his quest for wealth and power, Solomon had used the northern tribes of Israel, he'd used them for his own purposes, and he'd actually enforced labor upon them. He was making them bring back stone and wood from foreign lands so he could build his elaborate buildings. Israel, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel that you're having to do all this enforced labor? Not great. Tired. Pretty angry. Yeah. As you can imagine, this made the unity of the kingdom a little bit shaky. So can you give it another shake? The kingdom is looking a bit shaky. And so... Good shaking. Oh, man, it's almost falling down. Fix it, Roman. Fix it. (laughs) And so after Solomon dies, well, God's people would have been hoping for something better. A better king, a better king who would lead them out of tough times, would lead them into stronger unity and into worshipping God rather than all those false gods, all those idols. While taking his place on the throne was Rehoboam. I think that's a fantastic name, Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam was Solomon's son. And in verse 1 of our passage in Kings 12, we see that he is made king of God's people. We read, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. You can imagine, can't you? The feeling of the nation, a fresh start, a blank slate. Things would get better, right? But in reality, things were about to get a whole lot worse. Because this guy, well, he shared his dad's desire for money, sex, and power, but he didn't share in any of his wisdom. Whereas the first thing Solomon had done when he became king was to go to the Lord, was to go to God and ask for wisdom and guidance. What we see in our passage that King Rehoboam completely fails to go to God. Instead, we see that his number one priority, well, is himself. So we're left feeling uneasy when, in verse 2, we hear that an assembly from the northern tribes of Israel, well, they come to the newly appointed king. They're hopeful for that fresh start. And they want to reason with Rehoboam. And who's leading the team that approaches the king? Well, it's at this point a new character enters the scene. We've had Rehoboam, and now we see Jeroboam. Confusing much? I think so. We've got Rehoboam, and now we've got Jeroboam. Well, Jeroboam had been one of Solomon's top dogs, a trusted worker for the king. But then through a prophet, a prophet of God, well, Jeroboam was promised, was promised that he would be the one who would divide the kingdom. Because of Solomon's sin, because the way in which he led the nation into idolatry, well, God would take his kingdom from him and tear it in two. And Jeroboam would be the one that God would use to break his kingdom apart. As you can imagine, when Solomon heard about this, he wasn't a big fan. 
And so he tried to have Jeroboam killed. Jeroboam escapes, lugs it to Egypt, lays low for a while. That is, until he hears that Solomon's dead. When the old king is dead, Jeroboam decides to come back. And on behalf of the northern tribes of Israel, when he approaches the new king, and he approaches the new king, Rehoboam, asking that the heavy enforced labor that Solomon had put upon Israel would be reduced. I don't think that's unreasonable, is it? That's not an unreasonable request to ask. Now, will Rehoboam, the leader, the king, will he use this fresh start to unite the people together? Well, let's have a closer look at that episode, as we're going to have our first reading from 1 Kings. And Sarah's going to read that for us. If you've got a Bible with you, great. If you've got a phone with you, put it on silent. And then you can follow the reading as well. That would be fantastic. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, So this is 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 3 to 15. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given him by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. Thanks very much, Sarah. Well, in these verses, we learn a lot about Rehoboam, don't we? And as you think back to that question at the beginning of where do we turn to in tough times, who will lead us into deliverance? Well, we can begin to see, can't we, that for God's people, Rehoboam was not going to be the answer. And now, just for a couple of minutes, I think it'd be helpful if maybe you could just turn in twos and threes, if you're happy to do that. And it'd be great if you could just think about this question. What kind of king would you say Rehoboam is like? If you were to describe his leadership, like we've kind of done here, what words would you use to describe Rehoboam? I'll put the verses back up on the screen if you can see those. It might be a helpful reminder. So just... A minute or two to discuss, try and have some specific words that you can use to describe him, and then uh, we'll feed back together. So if you're up for it, turn into twos and threes. Thank you.
Great, okay, let's come back together again. No wrong or right answers, unless you had the wrong answer. But it'd be great to hear what you were discussing in those twos and threes. So how would you describe the kind of king that Rehoboam was? Yeah. Unjust. Great, thank you very much. Yeah, Roman. Scared. Interesting. Thanks. Insightful. Anything else? Not, not a good leader. Thanks, Hannah. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I think we'll see more of that. Anything else? Big-headed, yeah. Yeah, we were discussing that earlier when I couldn't fit my microphone on, but you're absolutely right, Tom. Yeah, he's a big-headed leader, absolutely right. Anything else? Foolish, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, he has all these wise elders, and he just completely blanks them, doesn't he? Absolutely right. Yeah, thank you. Great, well, I think that's probably enough to be going with. I think we've got a pretty clear as to what rare berm is like. He's, he's arrogant. He's self-serving, and he's foolish. He's stupid, isn't he? We saw Rehoboam's answer to Israel's request, didn't we? He doesn't go to God for wisdom. He ignores the advice of his elders, and instead he goes to his mates who encourage him to do exactly what he wants to do. And what does he do? He does exactly what he wants to do. He wants more power and wealth, and so he threatens even more, harsher, enforced labor on Israel. You've gone from whips, and now you've got scorpions on your backs. And if you're confused by the little finger thicker than the waist comment, I was too, but this week I've been looking into it, and it just simply means that Rehoboam's treatment of Israel was going to be even worse than Solomon's. Rehoboam is trying to hold on to his power to increase his wealth. And so, Judah, over here, if there's not going to be too much trouble, I see you've tied up your strings, but I was going to get you to pull the strings a bit towards you, or maybe just pull the signs a bit towards you, just to help us visualize that you're taking a bit of the power towards you. So, Israel, maybe you have to slacken off a bit. Judah, you pull it towards you. That's it. Fantastic. That'll do. That'll do. Great. Well done. (laughs) Great. Good work. So, so... Rehoboam's self-serving leadership, well, it seeks to bring more power to himself. Now, Israel, you're looking pretty unhappy at the moment. Israel doesn't like this one bit. So much so, before you carry on tying, well, that the northern tribes, well, they take things into their own hands, and they seize power for themselves. So can you pull back on the cause? Because you're seizing power. You're taking things into your own hands. And that'll do. That'll do. Not too much, Israel. Not too much power. (laughs) Well, we see in response to Rehoboam's harsh treatment and his divisive statement that Israel, well, they're going to appoint Jeroboam as their own king. Verse 20 reads like this. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. Jeroboam is king. There are two kings, which means there are two kingdoms. The once united people of God, well, they are divided. And in verse 19, we read, So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. The tension has built and built and built, and eventually, well, the kingdom, it splits. It's pulled apart. The kingdom is torn in two. 
And again, you can see what's coming with these rather large IKEA curtain-cutting scissors. The kingdom is torn in teeth. Same with this one as well. Where have we got the sign? <laughs> Thanks, Ali. Great, thank you. And you can put the string on the floor. That's not a problem for now. Thank you. So the togetherness that once unified God's people is no more. The people looked to Rehoboam in tough times, in their time of need, and he led to the kingdom being torn in two. Rehoboam was a self-serving king whose greed for power and wealth would have cost him a united kingdom. But how about Jeroboam? Because now he's a king of Israel. Would he be any better? Would he be the solution, the answer to their problems? Would he be the king that they were looking for? Well, let's zoom in on the text again, and Sarah's going to read our next passage for us. 1 Kings 12, verses 26 to 30. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Great, thanks, Sarah. And again, like last time, just a couple of minutes back in those twos and threes that you were in earlier, and discuss how would you describe Jeroboam? What kind of king is he? How would you capture his leadership in just a few words? There are those verses. Get discussing. Okay, not long there to leave you to discuss. Sorry to rush you in the conversations. Let's come back together again. Fantastic. Okay, so how are we describing Jeroboam's kingship? What words would you use to describe his... Paranoid. That's a great word, Pepper. Thank you. Yeah, paranoid. What else? Yeah, yeah, he's not a student of history. We'll think about that in just a second. Yeah. Uh, He's a wimp. He's a bit scared. Yeah. He's cunning. Yeah, he's got a plan. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good. Okay, I think, again, we've got a pretty good portrait of Jeroboam as king. And we see in these verses that Jeroboam, while he's more concerned for his own security than he is for the people to rightly worship God, more concerned for his position than God's position. His big worry is that when the people go back down to Jerusalem to make sacrifices and to be made right with God, well, that they'll end up reverting to having Rehoboam as king. So what's his big solution? Well, it's to set up his own version of the temple. Forget Jerusalem, Jeroboam says. We've got our own temples. Come to Bethel and to Dan. Forget about God. We've got our own gods. And did you spot there what he used for the people to worship? Two golden calves. And maybe there's an alarm bell, like for Ali, at the back of our heads. Golden calves, where have I heard about that before? 
Well, back in Exodus, when Moses was up the mountain meeting with God, the Hebrews who had just been rescued out of Egypt, well, they despaired. They failed to trust God. And instead, what do they do? They build a giant golden calf to worship. And here again, we have a golden calf, too, in fact. And so we can see, can't we, that the very first thing that Jeroboam does as king of Israel is to lead the people away from God into idolatry. It's an absolute nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Jeroboam, then, is again not the king that God's people needed. He was not the solution in their time of need. And actually, what has taken place in the whole of this chapter pretty much sets up the pattern for what we see for the rest of this book and pretty much for the rest of our series. Where we see throughout 1 and 2 Kings that the divided kingdom would repeatedly fight for power and be led by kings who are not the solution. For Israel, we're told that all of their kings, each and every one that would come, well, they all did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They were all bad. And similarly with Judah, whilst a few of the kings were good, their reign was all too short. And the vast majority of their kings also did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So instead of leading God's people to to turn to the Lord, to trust God, these kings time and time again, well, they led the people into worshipping idols, false gods. And that's, that's pretty much where our passage ends for today. And we're feeling pretty desperate, aren't we? With God's Old Testament people, we're longing for a king who would deliver rather than disappoint. For God's people, their lives have been turned upside down, torn apart. Who can they turn to in their time of need? Rehoboam? Jeroboam? No. But wonderfully, in the midst of this mess, God is still working. Even in a chapter like this, which feels like utter chaos, God is still active, and he is still sovereign. He is the one who is in charge. When Solomon rejects God and goes after idols, it is God who sends a messenger to Jeroboam saying that he will tear the kingdom in two. And that is exactly what would happen. And when Rehoboam completely fails as king, it is God who ensures that at least the tribe of Judah would remain loyal to the house of David. And that's a big pointer for us. It's an arrow that points ahead to one who would be born from the house of David in the tribe of Judah, a king, and that king is Jesus. You see, even in the messiness of self-serving kings in a divided kingdom, God is still sovereign, and he's preparing the way for his son, the king who would be the answer to God's people the answer they were desperately hoping for. So for a final time, we're going to get Sarah to read us some snippets that give us a vision for the kind of king that Jesus is. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, So from Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. From Mark chapter 10. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And from John chapter 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Can you see just how good Jesus is? How different King Jesus is? Harsh King Rehoboam lays a heavy burden on the people. Gentle King Jesus says, my burden is light. King Rehoboam's self-serving stupidity divided a kingdom. King Jesus' servant-heartedness established his kingdom. King Jeroboam leads the people to worship idols as he seeks to save himself. King Jesus leads the people into relationship with his father, with God, as he sacrifices himself. Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings. And so for us here this evening, when we're in tough times, when things feel out of control, well, we can recognize that God is sovereign, that he has a plan, and that he has an answer to all of our problems. And that answer is King Jesus. If you've never seen just how beautiful Jesus is, let me encourage you to take a closer look this evening. Because what we've had here with the Jeroboams and the Rehoboams is the dark backdrop that helps us to see just how brilliant and bright Jesus is. Like the the black velvet cushion you get behind a diamond. This chapter means that we can leave here this evening appreciating just how priceless Jesus is and treasuring him all the more. This evening we've seen uh, a kingdom that kingdom can only stay together as long as it remains united around the king. And we've seen that, haven't we? For us here in the church, in Christ's kingdom, we will only be truly united together if we stick with him, stick with Jesus as our king. Without him, the church will be lost and divided. But with Jesus as our king, we can look to follow in his footsteps. Rather than slipping into the danger of thinking that church is something that I just get stuff out of. Well, we can follow Jesus' example and look to serve one another. Asking, what can I give to the church instead? So, as we close, on those days when you're tempted to doubt that God is in control, that he really is sovereign, and that he does have a plan, on those days, you can simply look to Jesus the promised king, the servant king, the saving king. The question is, is he your king? If you'd like to find out more about how you can do that, how you can make him king of your life, then do speak to me afterwards or to Lizzie, and we'd love to chat to you more about that. But for now, we're going to move into a time of response and then a time of prayer after that. But we're going we're gonna to sing again now, a song that really helps us to capture all that we've seen in this passage. We're going to sing The King of Kings.
So let's stand and do that as the band leads us.